The martial arts genre is special to me because it's always been more interesting, in my opinion, to watch two men who are possessed of skills in the martial arts fight with each other than to watch people shoot at each other. Because, uh, as my father said in Enter the Dragon, any damn fool can pull a trigger. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. For those of you just joining, this is the podcast where we go back and look at movies that bomb theatrically, or maybe just, you know, didn't fare very well with critics. Brad, I'm, I'm kind of sad. This is the this is the last week of bromance. It, it is, it is. And because we share bromance with one Korean cool John Nance, we had to bring him on to talk about Showdown and Little Tokyo. John, welcome back, man. It's been too long. What's up? How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Tired, but good. Yes. And the joys of home ownership, overrated. Yeah. <laughs> Always having to fix shit. I, I hear that. Well, I know some of you are like, wait a second. Showdown in Little Tokyo, and you're bringing a Korean person on. Listen, folks, when we get into this film, uh, trust me, we're not as racist as the casting director on this one. Oh, so, <laughs> uh, John, I, I just got to ask before we jump into this all, all month, Brad and I have been talking about bromances. It's been awesome. Do, do you have a favorite cinematic bromance? Favorite cinematic bromance. Um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie that bombed or anything. I just, I didn't know if there was a bromance that just stood out to you and that was kind of your favorite to watch on screen. Yeah, uh, it's always been you guys covered it. Tango and Cash. That's just it, it. Just worked on so many levels. It was just so. Um, Kurt Russell's Sly Stallone. Just, just the magic they put on the screen. It was, it was, it was awesome. I, I'd have to say that that was definitely my favorite. Okay, good pick. I'm glad we started with that one. That was a lot of fun to cover. <laughs> well, Brad, we're we're gonna talk about uh, an early '90s action film, and I gotta say. If one thing has taught me this year so far doing the podcast, I forgot how much I love the late 80s to early 90s action films. I agree. You uh, text me that this morning and I just got to thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like that transition from the 80s to early 90s. It's like they took everything that they learned in the 80s and then they kind of turned it up a little bit and got uh, some fresher faces. Like for this film, you got Brandon Lee, who is... This isn't his first film, but it's one of his first um, and uh, like paired him with a huge 80s star in Duff Lundgren. So, yeah, I think in the action genre, like that period from like 91 to 93 to 94, like might actually be my favorite. Once uh, we started to kind of look at it, you got Craig R. Baxley coming on and um, films like this, like it's very underrated as a time period. No, I, I agree hundred percent. So let's go back in the time machine to 1991, right? So Troy's freshman year, 
<laughs> finishing up freshman year, going into sophomore year, saw this. I can tell you where I saw this. I saw this at Showplace South in Evansville. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but this this one, it just it didn't it didn't resonate with everybody when it came out, right, Brad? So so it, take us on a little trip. And how did this thing go when it got released? Yeah, so Showdown in Little Tokyo released August 23rd of 1991 with a reported budget of $8 million. I think they spent all that on the explosions in the third act. Um, domestically, it makes $2.275 million. Nothing internationally. So for a grand total is $2.275 million. So quite the quite the bomb. It didn't makes about 25% of its budget back. Ouch. Um, yeah, opening weekend. It makes 455K. A um, little unfair to this one because it's only opened in 140 theaters compared to some of the other films that came out. They were, you know, at least 500. So this one is substantially less available to see. Um, it's good enough for 16th place. Um, but Troy, it gets beat out by films like Hot Shots with an exclamation point, Doc Hollywood, T2 Judgment Day. The Doctor, Dead Again, Double Impact, Harley Davidson, and The Marble Man, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Pure Luck, Defenseless, True Identity, Boys in the Hood, City Slickers, 101 Dalmatians, the 1991 re-release, Regarding Harry. I, I gotta say, Troy, and we mentioned this a lot, that's a hell of a time to see movies. Like, yeah. it is. Be able to go and see Double Impact. Boys in the Hood, T2, Hot Shots, Doc Hollywood. Like, I'm not a huge Doc Hollywood fan, but just the breadth of different stuff. And then Prince of Thieves, again, you couldn't do that now. And it's amazing that in 1991, you were able to see all that stuff in the cinema. Yeah, and and even this one, I don't think uh, – I, I feel like we saw it – or it, it didn't play very long, maybe a week. But it was one of those where it – it showed up a couple of weeks after its formal release or something of that nature. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it bombs financially critically um, with nine whole critical reviews. It sits at a 33. So that is uh, three people out of the critics like this film. The other six did not. Um, and it sits with a 51% with the audience with over 10,000 reviews. Audience, get your mind right. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> internet. Come on, man. This is why we can't have yeah. nice things. <laughs> and uh, sadly, no Christian review this week, but they would have lost have, their minds, man, if they watched. This I know thing. <laughs> oh, a lot of gratuitous gosh. boobies in this. Yeah. Um, uh, OK, so films released August of 1991. We have Slacker. OK. Body Parts. Doc Hollywood. Delirious comes out. Uh, bingo. Double Impact. Pure Luck. The Commitments. Oh, Mystery God, Date. Yes. Martin Fink, again, Dead Again, Defenseless, Marlboro, or Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, True Identity, and A Child's Play 3. What a month. That's an awesome wow. month. And I saw so many movies at the movie theater, too, which I'm, yep. I'm happy to say. Uh, well, let's talk about the people behind the camera and in front of the camera. And we're going to kick things off with director Mark Lester. So he goes all the way back. His first film is a documentary that he shot in 71, Twilight of the Mayas. Yep. And after that, he ends up doing some, let's just call it drive-in 
movie grindhouse type stuff. So he's cranking out stuff like uh, Steel Arena in 73, Truck Stop Woman in 74. Great titles, right? <laughs> so just, just schlock. It, it's the late 70s going into the 80s, all of a sudden starts to make a name for himself. So he does Roller Boogie in 1979. Brad, have, have you seen Roller Boogie? I have not seen Roller Boogie, to be perfectly honest with you. Ooh, I That one I I feel like might make the Breaking Bad list. It, I, it's disco and roller skating. I, I think <sighs> you would like it. Uh, now we get into some, okay, listen to the films that he did in the 80s. Class of 1984, he did in 1982. Firestarter in 1984. Mm-hmm. Here's the big one, Commando, 1985, Armed and Dangerous in 1986. That's the Great John movie. Candy, Eugene John Levy Candy. film. Yeah. Great movie. Class of 1999, he does in 1990, so the sequel of Class of 1984. Showdown in Little Tokyo, he does in 91. And from then on, he starts doing films super independent, and most of the stuff either gets a super, super limited theatrical release or just go straight to video. So after Showdown in Little Tokyo, he does a Scott Glenn, Lou Diamond Phillips film called Extreme Justice that actually got delayed because of the riots and stuff that were going on at the time, and they just they sent it to straight to video. But but what do you think about that run of films from, from Mr. Lester, John? I mean, Commando, obviously a classic, but what do you think about his other output? Oh, seen them all. I, I, I dug them all. They're, they're, they're fun flicks, uh, you know, roller derby. Yeah. I watched it. It, it was fun. <laughs> you know, just yeah, that was a VHS skates. rental. I, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, commando, I mean, he, he really, he really had his chops cut and put on full display with his output during the eighties. Um, you guys said it, it was a great time to, to be in the theater. Agreed. What about you, Brad? You, you a lesser fan? I am just based off of Commando, Armed and Dangerous. I like Firestarter quite a bit too. Yep. Uh, class of 84, I like Class of 99. I don't know if I like as much, uh, but I like Extreme Justice quite a bit too. Yeah. So, yeah, he did a couple of Scott Glenn that aren't too bad. And Extreme Justice is a is a nice, tight little thriller. So, yeah. really, you, you like 84 over 99. I might be getting them mixed up. I haven't seen them in a really long Was time. Was it Class it's- of 1999 with Pam Greer? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I like that one. Okay. Yeah. If it's the Pam Greer one. Yep. Yes. Pam Greer is in that one. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's the one so I like. Take that lot. back. I like 99 <laughs> better than 84. There you go. Thank you. Cause I, I don't want to misspeak Troy. No problem. I'm a man of integrity. Uh, of course. Of course. Well, let's move on to screenplay. Uh, so we get Steven Glantz and Calliope Brattle street. How about, how about a name for that? So these two, they, they wrote stuff. Um, Steven, <laughs> Steven did an episode of like the fall guy, you know, some TV, um, Calliope did, I guess there was a new dragnet series that, uh, ran in the late eighties going into early nineties. Yeah. He did, he wrote, I think an episode for that new Adam 12, which was another TV reboot, but, but really the only thing of significance that maybe they contributed to was showdown on little Tokyo, 1991. The rest of their filmography is, is, <laughs> I mean, it's stuff. Right. Hey, that's how you, once you once you write something that's perfect, why write anything else, Troy? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's true. Uh, cinematography done by Mark Irwin. Now we talked about Mark actually earlier this year because he's also the one who was the cinematographer for "I Come in Peace" or "Dark Angel" that was released in 1990. Okay, so we're not go back and listen to that episode. So it's a, it's a fun episode. 
and you can and you can hear uh, us kind of run through Mark Irwin's filmography. Here's where it gets really interesting. So from here on out, when when we talk about these movies in the 80s and 90s, as as important as people like Mark Lester are, I think you also have to pay close attention to the second unit directors, the stunt coordinators, the stuntmen, etc. Because these films start to run a little bit. I, I mean, Showdown in Little Tokyo has a little bit of that Hong Kong feel to it. And, oh, and yes. Just its Quite, zaniness yes. and and even how it's filmed. And I think that comes from the next group of names we're going to talk about. And I'm going to start with second unit director and stunt coordinator, Terry J. Leonard. So I don't know if you guys understand the difference of, um, or the, or kind of what the responsibility of the second unit director is. So the second unit is usually a team of filmmakers tasked with filming shots or sequences of a production separate from the main or first unit. Mm-hmm. Second unit will often shoot at the same time as the main unit, allowing the filming stage of production to be completed faster. And in most cases, they're not dealing with the main actors or actresses, right? Yeah. Pick up shots, yep. et cetera. But here's the important thing, especially for these series of films. It's a, it's essentially like another workflow inside of your your film to be more efficient. Absolutely. And, and these guys, second unit directing, especially for movies like this, usually handled the action sequences. Mm-hmm. So action sequences are usually filmed in these discrete locations using the stunt performers versus the main stars or principal cast. And it really requires a different uh, filmmaking arrangement for the, you know, for these scenes. And that's why they'll usually shoot these off to the side while everybody's working on the main production. So Terry Leonard is responsible for the stunt coordination on this film, as well as he was the second unit director, which isn't unusual for him. So Terry's resume goes all the way back to the 60s. So he was a stuntman and he was working on, you know, John Wayne films like McClintock and El Dorado. Okay. That's how you got to start. Now listen to some of the films. This is selected filmography of Terry as a second unit director. All right. You ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. some bangers. Yeah. Let's go. Conan the Barbarian, 1982. Blue Thunder, 1983. Love Blue Thunder. Romancing the Stone in yes. 84, Red Dawn in 84, Cobra oh, right. in 86. What? Yeah. The Package, the Gene Hackman film, which is absolutely fantastic, oh, yeah. 89. Uh, a movie that I think we talked about or I mentioned, which I we got we to gotta review this. It's called Downtown. Um, it's, it's a buddy cop film from the 90s or 1990. And he also did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. So he did that the same year that he did Showdown in Little Tokyo. Follows this movie up with Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 92. Was the second unit director on The Fugitive in 93. Same year, Tombstone in 93. Wow. Here's some other ones. He's not done. Die Hard with a Vengeance in 95. Eraser in 96. Love Eraser. Wow. Here's the pinnacle rush hour in 98 worked with Jackie Chan Get out and the expendables in 2020, 2010. So that's just, that's just a selection of what he did in terms of second unit direction. Wow. Okay. Holy shnikes. You so, left out 
Too Fast, Too Furious, I believe. I believe he was on yeah. The Furious. He, yeah. he, he did he did movies like that, too. So I I thought these were just kind of interesting because especially I, I tried to pick stuff that he, you know, was the 80s and 90s, which is a little bit more representative of this film. But, oh, my gosh. I mean, as, as important as that director is, especially if they're handling the action sequences, this guy has some credentials. Terry Leonard. I, I will say, just because you brought up Jackie Chan, he also did some of the stunts in uh, Death Proof. Yes. So you'll hear his name. Oh, wow. In Death Proof. So we yeah. got a Tarantino and Jackie Chan reference. There's <laughs> one go. guy. Good job, Troy. We did it. Yes. Now, let's get on to some, some other credentials here. We got fight coordinator Pat Johnson. So we talked about Pat. Um, we did an episode tackling 1995's Mortal Kombat and 1997's Mortal Kombat Annihilation. He was the fight choreographer on those. Uh, he was also the martial arts choreographer for a little film called The Karate Kid in 1984. And and here's what's crazy. So again, gets his start in stunts, and he's worked on three films with three legendary, legendary martial artists. He has an uncredited stunt. Um, I, I guess you would call it like for IMDb, how they list you know, an uncredited. Yeah. So he did it, but I guess he just doesn't show up in, in the film credits at the end or whatever, but he worked on it. So he has an uncredited uh, stunt work for Enter the Dragon in 1973. So he worked with Bruce Lee. 1974, Black Belt Jones with Jim Kelly himself. Nice. And again, 1980s Battle Creek Brawl with Jackie Chan himself. Now on that one, he was actually listed as a stunt coordinator as well. Oh, well, did he do... Uh, uh, good guys wear black as well. Mm -hmm. Doesn't he have an uncredited? He's worked with Chuck show. Norris. Chuck Norris. Now he's also an actor, and I bet you when I tell you this, you'll be like, "Oh, that guy." So in the Karate Kid, <laughs> so he's the referee in the Karate Kid. He's um, the guy with the mustache with the red shirt that says referee. Yeah, and he misses the illegal move from Dana Larusso. Yeah. yeah. No kicks to the head, Troy. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that's Pat Johnson for you. Johnson uh, sucks as a referee. Great stunt coordinator. <laughs> sucks as a referee. Okay. <laughs> Assistant martial arts choreographer is Barbara Goldstone. She also worked on Mortal Kombat 95. I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, she was a choreographer for Punisher Warzone. And what's funny is when you start to go through and look at, you know, Pat, uh, look at Barbara, and even look at Terry, they worked on a lot of the same films mm -hmm. in some capacity, either from, you know, doing stunts, choreography stunt coordinator, but you can tell this crew has worked together tightly on a bunch of different films. Yeah. Crews, stunt crews and fight coordinators and all that usually have people that they work with because it's really difficult and it's like, it's like a dance, right? Yeah. So once you can figure out how to dance with someone, you want to keep working with them. Yeah. Um, if, if you look at something like Jackie Chan's, you know, stunt association, you've got so many guys who have worked for, you know, 20, 30 years together. That's why those action set pieces look so good mm -hmm. is, I mean, you nailed it, Brad. It, it is, it is art. It is people working together, f you know, for so long that they have their rhythms down and they know what each person can do and what they can't do. And so they can design the choreography and the stunt work all around that. So it's quite impressive. Uh, <laughs> another name I want to bring up fitness and physique trainer to Mr. Lundgren. I'm just going to call him the MVP behind the scenes, Joseph Poma. 
So his credits are just really all Dolph Lundgren movies. And I think we can all agree after watching this film, the man is a genius at his work because, oh Dude. my God, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren looks amazing in this movie. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, amazing. I, I was I was taking pictures of Dolph Lundgren during this film and just saying it to my wife and going, look at Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why can't uh, I look like this? He, he, She's he, like, I don't know. Why can't you? I know. I don't have <laughs> Joseph Poma working with me. <laughs> Isn't he? Uh, he fits the classification of boxer dropper. <laughs> oh, yes, he does. <laughs> yes. Uh, whew, man, starting. starting <laughs> I got heart palpitations thinking about it. Um, Get hot in here. It <laughs> is. All right. Now, the other two names I want to bring up casting directors <laughs> Michelle Guillerman and Kathy Henderson. So, I, the, Michelle, Kathy, if you're listening, just real quick. The movie's called Showdown in Little Tokyo. Uh, Brandon Lee is not Japanese. He's an American actor who happens to be Chinese. <laughs> Tia Carrera <laughs> is also not Japanese. She's an American actress who happens to be Filipino. Philip Tan is also also not Japanese. <laughs> He's a British actor who happens to be Singaporean. The only person you got right, maybe, is Kerry Hiroki Tagawa. He is Japanese. You got that one right. But this is some racist shit coming out in 1991, <laughs> <Yeah>. in my opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. God. So I got to. They're, they're, right, they're not all the same. I know. Right, John? They're not all the same. We don't know. Uh, they're not. No, they're not. I, I got to ask, John, does that stuff, it bothers me. I mean, being an American-born Chinese man, um, I, when I don't see the representation like that uh, and they hire some Japanese actor to play Chinese, no, I'm just kidding. But I'm I, seriously, does, does it ever bother you when you're watching that and you see a film and you know you know there's great japanese actors out there or korean actors or chinese actors and when they build a film around a specific culture and they're bringing other people into it only based on their looks knowing that they come from a different nationality does that ever bother you um ever so slightly um i i get it um to the point where i i can forgive them if the movie's awesome which showdown in little tokyo was okay um, but for the most part, yeah, normally if you want to, you want to create a film, a vision, um, around a, like you said, a community, right. Bring that community in. Yes. Cause there is a lot of talent that, um, just unfortunately is never seen because of that. Even if, even if this movie financially bombed, um, that was their chance to shine. So yeah, you know, next time, or let's just say everyone do better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound like a total social justice warrior or anything going back to 1991, but I, I guess it comes from a point of when the studio says, well, we have these names, they have some notoriety, we want to put them in the film. I, I totally understand that. I do. But they're playing with like Japanese tropes too, like we're saying Yakuza yes. and there's samurai and there's all this stuff that they're using. So they're using the culture, just not the people. Yeah, and and I guess it comes from a point in time when you know of actors and actresses of that time period, late 80s, early 90s, 
that maybe didn't have the, I don't know, the, the marketing to their name, but they, if they were going to do this whole Japanese culture, Yakuza, and I, I actually think it's kind of funny watching Dolph Lundgren trying to do, you know, some culture shift to fit into it. But it's just weird watching him trying to fit into a Japanese culture when the people he's trying to assimilate with are not Japanese at all, just Japanese in character name. It's just odd. It may, Correct. Maybe maybe it rubs me a little wrong because of how many Hong Kong, Japanese, Taiwanese films that I would have watched at this time period or even watched from the 80s or 90s, knowing that there's all this talent out there that they could have you know tapped into. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you look at all the supporting cast, especially within the Yakuza clan, I mean, there are a lot of faces if you follow martial arts movies or just, you know, anything that has any type of martial arts. There's there's a lot of uh, good example. I was watching it with Mia again um, this morning and, you know, there's a scene and she goes like, wait a minute, isn't that isn't that the isn't that the guy in the other movie? I'm like, best of the best. She's like, yeah. I was like, Dehan, <laughs> yeah, that's him. I was like, yeah. So, you know, just to show that they actually had a, a, a lot of depth that maybe, um, not back then, but, you know, moving forward for anybody else, you know, look a little deeper. You you might find some hidden gems that you just possibly overlook. Yeah, it's but uh, unfortunately, it's just something you got to accept going back in the 80s and 90s, right? You, you can't yeah. get too upset because Hollywood at this time period, they – they were just trying to get Asian American actors to fill these roles. And a lot we of were these, lucky that we, they got it this close, right? Yeah. Like it yeah. could have been just a bunch of white people playing like it, it could have. So I don't, yeah. I don't come down. I don't want to blaspheme, but it could have been a Remo Williams situation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now you want to bring the Koreans back into this? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, let's talk about the people in front of the screen, starting with Dolph Lundgren as Sergeant Chris Kenner. Uh, this is a time period when the nation was going through the Lundgrenaissance, I think, because you had Dolph in The Punisher in 89, Dark Angel in 90, Cover Up in 91, Showdown in Little Tokyo in 91, Universal Soldier in 92, and another little gem I don't think enough people saw, uh, Joshua Tree, which I think yes. on video it was called Army of One. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was sort of yeah. his take on a John Woo heroic bloodshed kind of film. Mm-hmm. But man, Dolph was making some. He looked good during this time period. He's always looked good. I think he looks great now. Yeah. Why wasn't he bigger? That's a good question. I don't know. I like the Dolph conundrum to me, and why he wasn't up on the list with like Seagal is above him for some reason. I'm like. Lundgren is way better than Seagal. I'll take a Dolph Lundgren film over Seagal film any day of the week, to well, be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, you think about it, right? After he did Rocky Four, you know, then, you know, it's, oh, he's like the next, he, he's like Schwarzenegger, but he can kick people in the face. So let's see how we can. He's do super Dolph. athletic. He looks oh my gosh. good. I, I'll tell you, I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate that a lot of his, I don't know if you caught any of his other movies, he's, they put directly like to Netflix and Netflix. Um, but he's, he's got some decent, he's got some decent chops. Um, he should have been bigger. Um, but you know, they, like I said, they kept trying to, I mean, you had commando, then what was it? Red Scorpion. I, I mean, they tried to shoehorn him into something instead of trying to take what was right there in front of him. This God stud smart as shit, um, can do martial arts. He, he does have a decent acting background. 
come on, what what else can we do with him besides the stereotypical crap? But I, I think he was not afraid to do Showdown in Little Tokyo. No, I think he actually embraced it. Yeah, in Dark Angel, like he wasn't afraid to do that. So, like, I think he was okay being a B-list star. Yeah, but looking like an A-list and having the talent of an A-list. Yeah. So, but he could just he just fights really well. So I'm glad that he's doing it. Like I like it when guys have way more talent and they're kind of swimming in this pool here. Yep. Um, but I look, he's still acting to this day and, and yep. still working. So it's not like his career has been nothing, but I thought coming out of the eighties and the nineties, Duff Lundgren could have been next to Schwarzenegger and, and, and Stallone. No. But he just never I, was. I do. I do think it comes down. So I don't think it's one thing. I think it's a few things. If if you think about the '80s to the '90s, it's it's starting to get crowded because you still have Schwarzenegger out there. You still have Stallone. Jean Claude is still a big deal. And if you're looking for larger, muscly bound guys kicking people in the face or blowing things up, it's a crowded field at the box office, right? And, and I think that's where Steven Seagal came in and sort of captured that audience a little bit because mm-hmm. he was different. If you think about Above the Law and what Andrew Davis did, and, and even with Under Siege, it was just different than what was out there in this little skinny guy throwing people around that was twice his size. And there was an attraction to that. And so I think it might have been a timing issue with Dolph Lundgren that if you think about the product that Lundgren was putting out in the late eighties, early nineties, it's really good. And it's, and I would go out there and say that it, it you just mentioned, what was it? Death warrant. Was that the Jean-Claude movie that came out about the same yep. time as this one? Yeah. So there's Jean-Claude movies out there. And I would think that the, the Lundgren stuff might be a tad bit better, but more people were familiar with Jean-Claude. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of think it also comes down to as much as I love the Punisher, Dark Angel, Showdown, Little Tokyo, Universal Soldier, people like Steven Seagal hooked up with better directors. Andrew Davis is a better director. So yeah, okay. Jean-Claude yeah. Van Damme, you know, made this change in the 90s over to Hong Kong directors and started picking up John Woo. And I, I think those films are fan. I mean, Heart Target is one of the most yeah, amazing action films out there. So I think it's just a convergence of little things. Dolph is amazing, but you know, she sees little things that chipped away at his ability to sort of take over that genre and and be one of the major players. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like it's a crowded market and there can only be four or five guys and Lundgren just happened to be the guy out. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, probably he had like a crappy agent too. I mean, a lot of the movies that were put out in the eighties I mean, Seagal Van Damme and all that good stuff. I mean, easily Dolph could have been in there and they could have been a little bit better than what they were. That's just my take. Yeah. They're, they're still good. They're, they're heads and above better than a lot of the schlock that comes out today. He's the best Frank Castle, man. Oh, uh, Oh yeah. Justin, if you're listening, I will take Dolph Lundgren all over the other punishers. He, he and I have this argument like about every other day. Uh, let's get on to an actor I want to spend a little bit of time with. And, um, it's detective Johnny Murata played by Brandon Lee. So for those who don't know, Brandon Lee is Bruce Lee's son. 
Brandon Lee had a very short filmography and was getting ready to have a big breakout when there was an accident on set of 1994's The Crow. And for those who don't know, uh, The Crow was a not a super low budget film, but it was the budget was low enough to where everybody was cutting corners. And as it happens when they're when they're doing all of these action sequences and close up with guns, etc., the film crew happened to send um, the guy who's responsible for all of that home early and let the props people take care of a couple of sequences. So. What happens is if they're doing a close-up, they may put what looks like a bullet in to a revolver so that you can see the bullet on the other side of it as they're pointing the gun at the camera. When they remove that, a little piece at some point gets lodged in there. And when they try and do another shot where they put blanks in there, if something is in that barrel and a blank gets fired off, Whatever's in that barrel, so it could be a little piece of metal or something of that nature, will go out with the same velocity as if it was a bullet. Yeah, it's a projectile. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. Brandon Lee was struck in his abdomen for whatever was in that barrel because they did not properly check it. And uh, he died a few hours afterwards while filming The Crow. And he only had three days left to finish it. Uh, Super sad story because this was a gentleman that I think was getting ready to own the world. Um, he was doing stuff like Kung Fu, the movie, 1986, a TV film. That's where he dipped his toes into acting. Then uh, that same year, went over to Hong Kong, worked with Ronnie Yu, and did this amazing film called Legacy of Rage. Oh, yes. Follows that up with a direct-to-video schlocky movie called Laser Mission. Which Dude, laser mission is amazing. Don't it is. Me. <laughs> it is. It's amazing, but it's schlocky. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay. Then does this film showdown in little Tokyo, which is sort of his entry into the Hollywood action film mm-hmm. follows that up the next year with rapid fire in 92. And then his last film, which becomes his biggest hit is 1994's the crow. So I want to start with you, Brad. Uh, thoughts on Brandon Lee? Are you? Are yeah, you even he, he, hearing you even retell the story bumps me out to this day, because we basically got five films from Brandon Lee. And look, the tragedy was is this guy was taken from his family, his friends, and all that stuff, and he died way too young. But as a film lover, and as someone who loves action films, we were robbed of many many years of this guy making awesome films doesn't compare to him losing his life obviously but what i'm when we're talking about films i'm just saying he you see him in rapid fire and then coming into the crow it was like this guy was not like on a like a slope going up like it was exponential growth to where after the crow he was going to be so big and to be the son of Bruce Lee and to almost sort of make a, your own name for yourself says something now. And this is just because I'm going to say it and we can all argue it, but he could have been a bigger star than Bruce Lee because he looked, he looked more white. He had a, a white mother. And so I think it was easier to sell Brandon Lee than it was Bruce Lee. Um, just because I think white audiences would have, accepted him way easier. Um, so yeah, I, I 
I went back and I watched Legacy of Rage this week, Rapid Fire, and The Crow. Because after I got watching done watching Showdown in Little Tokyo, I was like, this guy had something. And it's obviously way too sad because you could literally go through his filmography in an afternoon. But like Rapid Fire is so good. Like it is. Oh, my so God. Good. It's so good. So good. If you have not seen Rapid Fire, hit pause. Go watch Rapid <laughs> Fire. You will love every second of it. And then The Crow, even to this day, holds up and is like so good. And deserves like, I don't know, when was that 94? So maybe we get a release next year for the 30th anniversary. But I love the crow so much. Um, But no, we were, we were, Brandon Lee was taken way too early from us. Uh, The story around his death, just the weird things that happened, three days left, you know, essentially freak accident takes him from us after the weird death of his father all this stuff. It, it's uh, it's one of Hollywood's saddest stories. I, I agree. hundred percent. What about you, John? Where do you, where do you land on Brandon? I mean, what, what more can I add except that? Uh, yeah, it, it was, a, it was, he was a bright, a bright soul that was uh, taken way too soon. Um, I, I feel for um, Michael Massey. He was the actor that actually involved in that fatal ad, uh, tragedy. Um, to the point where, you know, he took, he took a year off, I think a little bit longer. He didn't want to do any, have anything to do with acting or, or, or involved with that. Um, because he knew what the reality of the situation was. It wasn't just Brandon Lee's death. It, it, it was for all you, you know, like Marvel file nerds, the easiest to trans. There is a time branch now that is just completely gone that Brandon Lee could have just, Ben Bruce Lee was on a, on a level not many people could touch. Right. And he had charisma. Brandon had much more charisma. Um, and when you, if you, there's, there's several of his interviews on like YouTube and stuff. Just, I, I, I implore you guys to go watch, go watch him. He's, he's, he's a down to earth fellow. I remember the day I, I heard the news of what had happened on the crow and uh i i kind of i kind of cried a little bit because i i understood that not only for the lee's family um but what that really meant for you know asians because here we had another asian star rising up right could have someone else to look up to um and and now he's gone um this brandon lee is a star that i think to um, Brad's point would have rivaled Bruce Lee. Um, uh, cause those of you who've ever had the privilege of seeing some of his real martial arts workouts and, and some of his videos, this kid's just as fast as his dad. I mean, lightning fast. And you get to see a little bit of it in, um, showdown. Um, but there was just so much potential that, you know, who knows what could have happened. And, uh yeah, Crow is definitely one of my favorites. James O'Barr's comic series brought to life beautifully. Um, Gentle Giant, uh, I think just brought out another classic statue of the crow. Um, I'm still trying to convince my wife it's worth me buying. Um, 
but what more can be said except that um for every you know for those woulda coulda moments brandon definitely fits that bill because you know here is again uh, someone who gosh i'm getting a little emotional because it, it it really is sad you think about the family that brought from his father to him, um, even his sister, Shannon Lee, um, for those who didn't know, she was the host on a TV series called um, USMAC Masters. So it was a martial arts show, kind of like teledrama, soap opera type thing. Um, and to the mom, um, what they lost um, will never match, you know, what we feel in terms of a movie experience. But there's there's nothing I can say except rest in peace, Brandon. Um, you and your dad are amazing. Yeah, he. I, I like the word you brought up about charisma. So even back to Legacy of Rage in 86, when he was working with Ronnie Yu, there was this intensity that he had that just seemed so natural. And you could see from his acting style, he was not his father. He was not trying to copy that per se. He was definitely trying to make his own. And he re- he had acting chops. He was good. Legacy of Rage is a bonkers film. He looks amazing in it doing the action sequences, but he's just as amazing with the emotional content as well. Yeah. And I, I really do I would think say, oh, like Bruce Lee is a, is a martial artist first actor. Second, yeah. it's the inverse when Brandon, he's an actor first, then a martial artist, which is what Hollywood would go for. Right. Um, yeah, because, absolutely. And and I think he under I think he understood mm-hmm. that's where his strength was as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. So, uh Rapid Fire which it it what what bothers me about the loss in in the void that was created as a result of him not doing action films was Rapid Fire, that fight sequence between him and Aliong at the at the back of it. Yeah. Uh, Rapid Fire borrows some sequences from police stories, surprisingly, and, <laughs> yeah, they, and yeah. they do it really well. Yeah. But that fight sequence between him and Ali Ong, I mean, you get to see his skill, his speed. And uh, Brandon Lee was a fight choreographer with Jeff Amata on Rapid Fire. So all yep. of the action sequences, Brandon Lee helped formulate. So Brandon Lee not only could do the moves and he was an amazing actor, but he also understood choreography and what looked good on screen. And The Crow, even to this day, I have a really hard time watching it uh, to where I will tear up because I I was such a big fan of his in the early 90s. And when you hear that news and then you watch The Crow and then the movie The Crow itself, where it starts watching him come out of that grave, where he goes back to, it's an emotional gut punch. Now, the question is, would it be that emotional uh, without the real-life tragedy behind the scenes? We'll never know. I still think his performance elevates that film. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to ask yep. you guys to do the hardest thing ever. And could you rank his movies? Or could you even pick the top three Brandon Lee films, like one, two, three? Uh, I mean, I think it goes The Crow, Rapid Fire, Showdown in Little Tokyo for me. Okay. What about what about you, John? Um, pretty much, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, mine mine would be Rapid Fire. It would be The Crow, and then it'd be Legacy of Rage. Yeah, Legacy of Rage is really good, but yeah, it is. I would take. I mean, look, Laser Mission is 
<laughs> it's, it's schlocky. It's, but it's still, you should still see. I mean, heck, you can yeah. get it for like four bucks anywhere. They always pair yeah. it with something, right? But if you want it, like those other four, you know, it's a toss up that, you know, if you really wanted to, to rank them, like Legacy of Rage is excellent. Um, yeah. They're all really good. They're all really good. So talk about the biggest what if. Th- this one crushes me because I, so in, in the 80s, Lee started to train again with Dan Inosato, right? So Inosato said that Lee would bring a camera to the training facilities to see what techniques look good on the screen. And again, that that's what Brandon Lee knew. He knew martial arts, but he was also trying to figure out what also looked good from a filming perspective. So around this same time, Margaret Loesch, Marvel CEO from 84 to 90, had a meeting with Lee and his mother through comic book writer Stan Lee. Stan Lee felt that Brandon would be ideal in the role of superhero Shang-Chi in a film or television adaptation. God. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? We could have had probably the greatest Shang-Chi ever in Brandon Lee. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, his sister, you you talked about that television show, John. I would encourage everybody. His sister uh, tried her hand in Hong Kong with Enter the Phoenix, and it's a Corey Yoon film, yep. and Benny the Jet Arquitas is in it too. It's a little hard to f- track down. Uh, I, I think I have a Maya DVD from Hong Kong or something that's just letterbox, but check it out. It's it's a it's a decent, actually it's a really, it's a Corey Yoon film, so it's good. It's yeah, a really it, good action film. Yeah, it, it's a solid film just for entertainment purposes. I mean, it's not gonna blow your socks off, but. Yeah, there's good. there's good sequences, in, but <clears throat> I, I would say, that would you watch that and then you watch any of Brandon Lee's other films and you go, Oh, well, I under I understand why Brandon Lee was going where he, he was going versus Shannon Lee. Shannon Lee's okay, but nobody met just the the acting chops and the intensity on screen and even uh the masterful choreography that he did in his films. I mean, he was he was so good. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me just say too, because last year, was it last year, I believe? It's what now, 29 years since uh, Brandon's passing. And when I heard about, and this is not to, well, yeah, it is to bash on him because he's a prick. Um, (laughs) So so Alec Baldwin, right? If you think about it, when was the last time someone was, there was a a shooting accident on scene? No, we just had one, you know, not too long. Well, Rust, yeah, but you're comparing Rust to to Crow, yes. To Crow, right? And even even Dolph Lundgren, I I caught him in an interview talking about it, and he's like, when we talk about Brandon, he was a professional, first and foremost, right? He understood. I think you're right, exactly right, Troy, right? He he wasn't trying to be his father, right? And that's what pissed me off about all his interviews, because that's all he wanted to do was talk about his father. But here's a genius that was was cut down short and people out of respect understood what his death meant. And then you have people like Alec Baldwin. Oh, it's everybody's fault. No, 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 no. Everyone that was affected on the crow, especially the Lee family, um, like I said, Michael Massey, he accepted what he did. He knew his responsibility still, you know, it goes beyond firearm safety and all that good stuff. Um, but it goes back to what I was trying to say, professionalism, right? Brandon Lee was a professional and he always tried to showcase what he, not, not, not what else he could do on screen, but what else he is capable of. And that's what hurts, hurts the most knowing that uh, 
we we never will. Like you said, Shang Chi. Oh, I, I yeah, better. Oh yeah, give me that over what I you know saw last year. Whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, he would have been amazing. So, uh, kind of running through a couple of other people. Uh, Tia Carrera is Minoka mm-hmm. Okeya. She <laughs> she'd been acting since 1985. Uh, it's funny this year in 1991 she had two films. Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man and Showdown in Little Tokyo. I think most people remember her from 1992's Wayne's World. I think that's where she hit it big. Yep, Cassandra. It, yeah, and it's interesting. So from Wayne's World, she does Rising Sun, Rain, Wayne's World 2, True Lies in 94, hooks up with Polly Shore the next year, Jury Duty, then does, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's politically correct anymore but i still love this film high school high from 96 just yeah. john lovitz makes yeah. me laugh so the hard. scene i remember i don't know why the scene but they're handing out condoms and they staple the condoms yes. to this piece of paper she oh. goes here you go you little slut <laughs> like so dumb but it has stayed with me since i saw that movie yeah it's yep. it's hilarious um call the conqueror and uh kids will know her from lilo and stitch so uh, she's still acting. I think last year she was in Easter Sunday, which was a theatrical release. Then we've got Kerry Hiroki Tagawa as Funike Yoshida. We talked ad nauseum about him uh, when we talked Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat, yes. Shang Tsung. We've got another actor. Just want to just want to talk real quick because we mentioned his name earlier in the month. Philip Tan as Tanaka. Uh, we mentioned him in Tango and Cash earlier in the month. He was the gunman yeah, in Chinese gay. Okay. Yep. He was Square Crow. Yeah. And, and what's interesting <laughs> is um, just real quick about Philip Tan. I, I thought this was super cool. Uh, his first big break in film as an actor and fight choreographer was in a film called The Fiendish Plot of Dr. Fu Manchu in 1980 oh, with yes. Peter Sellers. All right. So after that came a year of uh, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Who was in that, Brad? Say what? Uh, you're not even paying attention, are you? No, I am, but you said Lord. Greystoke, said play- The he, Legend. He's still no. looking up his uh, Tia Carrera Playboy spread. I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Phil, uh, Philip here worked on Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, and was an actor and trainer for Christopher Lambert. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he was then contacted by Steven Spielberg and Robert Watts to train the principal actor, Jonathan K. Quanin for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So there you go. Yep. Production and development. Warner Brothers. Okay. So they're the ones that produced this thing. They were not happy with the film and heavily re-edited it, only to give it a limited theatrical run in the United States, Mexico, Australia, France. But it skipped Paris. Italy, Israel, and Hungary. Except for these markets, the film was released direct to video in 1992. The film became a cult classic among action fans after its release. Director Mark L. Lester said, I was going for exaggerated reality, kind of a pop art thing or a comic book, but Warner took about 10 minutes out of the film, which were pretty good actually. They changed it all around. They didn't do a big release, but I guess people liked it. After Brandon Lee's untimely death while filming The Crow, movies with Brandon Lee in leading roles such as Showdown Little Tokyo saw a surge in video sales. So this thing, I think, uh, pretty much started making its money back on the home video mm-hmm. market. Yeah. I think yep. that's where a lot of people would have saw this one as well. Yeah, that's where I saw it. This was a big uh, a big uh, slumber party uh, rental for us for a few reasons. Well, for like, 
I'm sure we're going to get into those reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I still have my um, mint in box VHS tape. So. Oh man, I don't yeah. know. I I think I buy this film anytime they release it. Uh, yeah. VHS, oh, yeah. DVD. I, I I got a quick question. So as a collector, when now when this was released in Warner Brothers, it was in the uh, the cardboard uh, pop case. Yeah, I hated those cases. Yeah. So when this so when this came on Blu-ray. Instead of keeping the DVD case in the Blu-ray case, I will go and buy a Blu-ray case that has uh, the double, the double, right? And you put the DVD in one, the Blu-ray on the other side, switch out the art, and you create your own DVD Blu-ray combo. Yeah, you make your own combo pack. Yep. Versus selling off the DVD because I'm I'm probably not going to watch the DVD, but I know I'm I'd get five cents for it. Do you guys do any crazy stuff like that with your collection? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, that's then not that's not crazy. It's not crazy. Well, I mean, it's crazy, but among us, it's not crazy. Perfect. So I I mentioned my VHS tape. Mm -hmm. That's because that was the when I rewatched it. That was how I watched it again on VHS. Oh, watched on VHS. I, <laughs> then I put I popped in the DVD because that's what I remember. The graininess. That's what I think really brought it home for me. Uh, yeah. So. Okay, that makes sense. Well, how about we take a quick break and then we come back and talk about Showdown in Little Tokyo. How's that sound? Excellent. Awesome. Hey. All right, we'll be right back. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee, freshly brewed, and all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. On a mysterious island in the South China Sea, there is a fortress without walls, protected by an invincible army that needs no ordinary weapons. This is Enter the Dragon, the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio. John Saxon, U.S. Karate Champion Jim Kelly, and Black Belt Hall of Fame superstar Bruce Lee. Penetrate the secret chambers of Han's evil empire, discover its secret, and destroy. This is Enter the Dragon, where the world's greatest martial arts athletes meet the ultimate challenge with the most ancient and deadly of weapons, the human body. Enter the Dragon. From Warner Brothers, rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Okay, guys, let's get into this. John, I'm going to kick it over to you. Uh, we are talking about bromances. And oh boy, do we have a stellar bromance this week with Showdown in Little Tokyo. And uh, I think it's fair to say that all three of us have watched this in double digits. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. easily. Yeah. Okay. So you got to visit this thing this week and come talk about it. What 
what do you have to say about it? What's, what's your initial reaction on the 30th time of watching this? Oh man, just as fun as the first time I saw it at Marley station. Um, matter of fact, I think I saw it with my wife when we were dating back in high school. Uh, but yeah, it was amazing, but I felt bad. Um, because as we were going through it and I'm just, you know, laughing at the, the bromance that was there going on. And I, the, I don't know why, but the thought hit me that if, you know, Kenner had just worn a white t-shirt and I'm sorry, Mike Mort, he would have been a sexy Chuck Steele with a partner that actually lived to the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he I is mean, Chuck Steele. Uh, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. think about it, right? Yeah. If you look at him, the leather jacket, the way he carried us, I mean, there was not a lot of the F bombs or the, he could have used a couple of middle fingers here and there, but, um, it was just, it was just fun from the end, even remembering, um, <laughs> after Warner brothers cut it up, um, all, all the little, all the little bloopers that still resided in, in the movie, like when they had, 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 um, uh, Tanaka in the car and it's getting crushed and you hear him go, no, no help somebody help. And then they cut away to, uh, and then they cut back to the car and you see this dummy head and it's yeah. still going, no, no, please. <laughs> there's some, there's some awesome use of dummies in this. Film. Oh, yes. oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and then um, that dummy that is spinning around in the circle at the very end is pretty awesome too. Yeah, it it's, it's fantastic. It's just, it was just so much fun. Uh, Brandon Lee, just his, his lines. I mean, he got some real good ones. Um, and just to see again, just his martial arts flair. And I hate it. So this is what I hated about a lot of the eighties martial arts, American martial arts movies. They always had to slow things down. Right. Um, but right in the bathhouse, I was like, this is the best fight scene because you actually get to see Brandon throw a one, two, three combo with a spinning hammer fist. Right. And it's like in real time. And I'm like, that's the, yeah. And then even to the point where my wife's remembering some of the lines is she's, she's not even watching and she, she just, she knows the scene and all of a sudden she quips the line. It's like, yeah, that's how awesome this movie is. Even my wife remembers some of the lines. <laughs> okay. What about you, Brad? How how was your revisit? Oh, I this was just an amazing revisit because um, I hadn't seen it in like six months, so I decided you know <laughs> to see my my semi annual uh, or my double uh, viewing for the year. Uh, yeah, like Brandon Lee comes on scene in like an ill fitting suit, and he's still charismatic even in like a really bad suit, and. Can we talk about it with a lot of these bromance films? They bicker back and forth for about two minutes and then they just have amazing chemistry and they like each other. He's like, he admits like, yeah, I kind of like you and they're friends. And then they, they are saving this girl together. There's never any jealousy about who the girl likes. It's totally fine that she's in the Dolph Lundgren. Cause look at him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so their chemistry is great. Uh, I love it when you go against uh, the Yakuza, the Iron Claw Yakuza clan. Um, I mean, there are some great deaths in this film. He beheads a girl mm -hmm. with the samurai sword, mm -hmm. so uh, you get points for that. I mean, it is right before or right after a rape scene, but, you know, it's whatever. Um, and then the shootout in the factory, like, uh, I was starting to think about it. Like with action and stuff now, like 
they are saying motherfucker in this movie. And I don't know if I remember hearing that much anymore. I don't know why films don't say it, but they say it like 10 times in this film. And then there is just so many gunshots and people getting killed and squibs and all this. And I'm like, are we not doing that anymore? Like it doesn't feel like these buildups to these big showdowns are happening as much anymore. Um, Wick is more hand to hand stuff. And and the the gunshots are always like way more up close. Um, It's glossy. It is. Yeah. Stuff today is super choreographed, super glossy. Yeah. And and, you know, this one is a little messy. Uh, You know, the, the bad guy literally shoots, Lundgren in the hearts and you're like, uh, you're holding your heart, man. You got shot in the heart. He's like, yeah, no, no, no. it went straight, went yeah, straight through. It went straight through. Like, that, yeah. that doesn't, that, okay. <laughs> it went straight sure. through the heart. <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden it doesn't bother him anymore. And he is, uh, fighting a guy with a samurai sword. Uh, but it, it is a swift, like 80 minutes long. And, uh, there is gratuitous nudity. Yes. Gratuitous <laughs> violence. Hallelujah. Um, gratuitous uh i guess uh profanities so Preach. it is like everything a 13 year old kid watching this on vhs loved because that's what we did we watched this all the time um and i you know we might have been even like too dumb at the time to know who brandon lee really was um it oh, was yeah. just because it was an awesome movie um but yeah man i this this like just washed right over me and I loved every second of it. As soon as it comes on, um, the opening sequence is is just this dude with tattoos like flexing, and you're like, okay, we're in for like a homoerotic film, and I am on board for it. So, so and known. there's a sex scene. It's like great. I like look again with the whole stuff that doesn't happen anymore. It's like good. These two good looking people. One of them might have a body double, but we know whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, might have a body double. Might. Uh, but, oh, my God. It, it, the, they're into the, each the other only thing, they're going to have sex. Yeah. If you and I put on a wig, uh, we might have looked a little bit better than the body double for Tia well, Carrera. See, that's, well, see, that, that, I mean, except her breasts are just. That's true. That's, okay. what, that's, what, that's so funny. I mean, you my do wife, have nice breasts, Troy. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> thank you. My wife My wife looked up and saw this scene. She's like, that's a body double. I'm like, how did you know? It's like, her tits are too big. Yeah, they're her way too big. Like, all of a sudden, all it's, of a sudden, she's like, double D. You're just yeah, like, I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, you didn't notice it was a wig on? She's like, nope, her boobies are too big. <laughs> uh, um, she had hair? But you, know, <laughs> you mentioned um, the action. I mean, <clears throat> I can't remember. And you guys might have to refresh my memory, but this this movie showed down a little Tokyo, like you said, took some chances. Like this was the first time I remember watching this, where there was guys being shot that were shirtless, shirtless, and yeah. they're getting hit. I'm like, all right, he's dead, but damn, I know that must have stung like a mf'er. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I guess it's like a paintball sort of deal. I know, but right, so. I mean, they took chances and it worked. Don't I? I can't recall recently that, that bathhouse shootout is insane. Oh, it's crazy. You got the dudes like in the little diaper things, <laughs> and you're just like, mm. and the fat guy. Oh, yeah. And there's it's... a female sumo wrestling match in the background in one of these scenes too. I know. Oh, in that it's club. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look this this is a guy film, right? It's 
It's the yeah, guy. I got a, guy I got a films. what are you watching from my wife the other night? She's like, what are you watching? I'm like, it's called Showdown in Little Tokyo. Yeah. I then she saw Dolph Lundgren and she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I couldn't. Is that when you told her to go make me a sandwich? No, uh, no, 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 no. no. I, I know Natalie. Don't. No. Mm, no. Uh, every five minutes, somebody is getting kicked in the face or shot. I love it. And when, or, or showing tits. Well, yeah. And, and when they're not getting kicked in the face or shot, you see boobs. And it's Hallelujah. Not, yeah. And it's not just naked women. Like the last half of the movie, Dolph Lundgren is running around in his underwear or he's shirtless. Yes. Shirtless with the like little small underwear in Oh, but remember, oh. you get that full moonbeam. Oh, you get that shot. shot. Oh, yeah. my God. With that lighting. Wow. It's like, oh, those yeah. are two I mean, heavenly baked hams. Again, he, is, he, he, he was a stud. His tr- Well, his trainer is the real MVP of this production. Let's just put that out there. But but it's not even that. So if you were to make a drinking game and say, look, anytime male or female, they showed their boobs, take a shot. Upper male, upper male or female nudity? Yeah, they're tearing guys' shirts off to show their tattoo man boobs right and then uh, the interrogation tear a shirt off man boobs i mean could you could you break your own neck if you had to oh i I had that uh question is that actually feasible yes how is that possible how 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 you put opposing pressure at two points just like you did you just grab it and you you got to commit though (laughs) um but yeah that's uh that was actually a question i asked my sifu and uh he's like oh yeah He's like, yeah, just you got to have dedication and will because once you put that in motion, there ain't no going back. I'm like, yeah, okay. kung fu bullshit. That's no, no, I, no. I challenge somebody to actually explain that. <laughs> explain it, people. Not do it. Explain it. Yeah, I don't. I don't want anybody. I don't want somebody sending a video in and be like, watch this. No. <laughs> uh the, sorry the, Joey, we interrupted you keep continue oh ahead. no that's yes. fine um the the film is a, is the definition of a bromance uh film. Brandon Lee is clearly in love with Dolph Lundgren. Clearly. Mike even pointed this out. He he borrows that uh, line for Chuck Steele about commenting on him having the biggest schlong he's ever seen on a guy. Mm-hmm. And Dolph clearly has feelings for Brandon. And here's the thing. I think you strip away the amazing 90s action and you have the best bromance story ever to grace the silver screen, uh, including you know, the classic hand clasp, we're going to go do it, you know, handshake thing. Yeah. And it works in here. And, and I, I'll go back to Tango and cash, Tango and cash. I like it. There's bickering back and forth, but I agree with you, Brad. What's kind of refreshing about this is you get a little bit of that in the beginning with that first, um, action sequence in the restaurant and they have a little tit for tat, but at some point, even before halfway, they're just like, I like you. Oh yeah. Well, I like you. Well, let's just go take on the bad guys. Yeah. And then they end up complimenting each other for the rest of the film. And it's, it's kind of nice. You're like, wow, these guys are really nice to each other. Well, I think. You, you oh, and he's that, like, I'm not going to cock block you. Like, look, yeah. I realize, look, I'm the third wheel here. Yeah, We're at this little it. house. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll just go to a hotel. He's like, no, man, just listen no. to me. Have sex yeah. with her. But <laughs> yeah, you know. just let me, let me record. Uh, but I, I think at the coffee shop, I think, you know, the choreography choreography is, is what set the bromance in motion. I mean, <clears throat> the one sequence where, he grabs Dolph to 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 do a um a, a spinning flip, and then Dolph just says "uh uh-uh, uh," and he turns around and reflips him, and then Brandon gets up and kicks him in the hand, and then it's like, okay, respect, respect. Yeah, they they have a great uh, I, I they just have great chemistry the minute they're both on the screen, and to me, this is a perfect example of a group of people knowing what they're good at, 
and just delivering that, right? So you have a super talented team behind the camera in terms of action filmmaking. We've already talked about the second unit direction. You have two charismatic action stars in front of the camera. Nobody on the set is trying to reinvent action cinema here. The focus really is delivering quality product with some flair. And I do see where the director was going for that sort of pop art uh, with some of the choices they make in costume design and sets. And whatever it lacks in originality, just originality, there's nothing original in this film. But it just makes... No, there's drugs and... Yeah, it's it's the same stuff that you would see in 90s action. But it certainly makes up for those shortcomings with charm and chemistry. And I, I think we've just said it over and over again. Dolph and Brandon are so much fun to watch. Dolph is in his prime. Brandon is showing he's going to be one of the biggest movie stars ever. Both look great kicking people. Uh, given the difference in size and build, I'm always amazed at how graceful they both move. Brandon does his flippies and then his kickies. And Dolph does these spin kicks that just it looks like ballet. I love it. Uh, the look of the film is fantastic. I don't know what you guys thought. I I mm-hmm. actually was kind of shocked. The cinematography looks so good in it. Yeah, yeah, it's actually shot really well. Yeah, it's uh, it is surprising that, you know, you think of this as on a B level movie, and then you're like, whoa, some of these shots are pretty good, and like the choreography of the fights is really really good. You feel um, the impact, right? Yeah, which is important, I think, uh, especially that last little showdown. In little Tokyo, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, you know, it, it definitely uh, pays off. I, I agree. I mean, you you had mentioned John Wick, and look, John Wick films are its own genre. They're fantastic to watch. I mean, the the new one's gonna have Scott Atkins, Donnie Yen. You couldn't ask for yes. a better. It's like seventeen hours long. I know. Too. It's, it's, like, it's, it's gonna be amazing, but at some point even with some of the John Wick films and, and I love the last one with Mark Dacascus when there's a point in action choreography where in, and this is where I think Jackie Chan, especially in the, in the seventies, eighties and nineties did it better than anybody else. And you know, they would use wire work to accentuate this, but you, you need the audience to feel those kicks and punches, all of it. Right. And sometimes the John Wick films or sometimes modern filmmaking, they do get this glossy choreography and it looks great, but it's just missing some of that impact. And maybe, maybe it just goes on a little too long, right? The beats are just too much. Yeah. And what I like about this film is you feel the impact of each kick and it has a unique visual style, but the choreography is done so well. Just, it's almost like every little fight sequence within the action sequence doesn't overstay its welcome, if that makes sense. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, let's go back to the bake, uh, the bathhouse. I mean, to put perspective here, here, showdown little Tokyo versus let's just use John Wick. Okay. John Wick is it's visceral, right? You, you're like, Oh damn, that dude just got effed up. But in showdown, the bathhouse fight where Brandon does a, a, a spinning leg sweep on James Liu mm-hmm. and he knocks him out, his legs under him so hard. I felt that, that his <laughs> yeah. back hit the edge of that bathhouse before he went head first in. Yeah. That's, that's, that's making you feel that he's not kick. wearing a backpack. Cause he's not wearing. No, a shirt, so. no. And that's what's like, Oh my God. Damn. He's dead. You know what I mean? It's it's definitely different when you see some of the stuff like back then versus what you see today. Yeah, there's a total difference that 
I really, I'm not saying go full bore on it, but I would love to see just a little bit that. Yeah, I know this is a movie, but damn, I know that hurt. Yeah. Well, that's what they were doing in Hong Kong, right? Like, yeah, guys knew they were going to get hurt. There was a certain level of, hey, we're going to make this hurt as little as possible, but it's still going to hurt. That's what, oh. kind of what they're doing here. Yeah, that's this, why, this isn't know. full on Hong Kong action choreography no. or anything. They're not. You no, know, no. They, no, I mean, it's not like it's, it's got that. There is a level of I wouldn't say danger, but of impact, right? Yes. Yeah, I think well, so. like even Dolph st- uh, stomping on. Um, God, I can't remember the actor's name, but stomping on his foot. I mean, I was like, I can't tell if that was real or because, damn, that would have to hurt. I mean, something as simple as that. Right. It, that's that's kind of what you don't see a lot of today. So what did you guys think about the comedy in this? Because this is a buddy action film mm-hmm. and there is a there is an attempt at comedy a lot. And Brandon Lee delivers a lot of lines that are meant to be the naive rookie who doesn't really understand what's going on. And Dolph Lundgren makes fun of him, says, oh, you're Japanese, but you don't understand your culture. He's like, no, nope, I'm a surfer from Southern California. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what, what what did you think? I don't like about raw fish. Yeah, I don't like raw fish. But <laughs> at first if you don't like sushi, man, I can't I can't get on board if you don't like sushi. I am sorry. So what did did, did the comedy work for you guys? Oh the yeah. The comedy I think is no, John. I think the comedy is like the weakest part of this film, except for like when he comments on his big dick and <laughs> uh you have the right to remain in pieces. Yeah. Or what is that what he says? What's he say when he blows up the guy? Yeah, the right to remain dead. Oh, right, right <laughs> to remain dead. The uh in pieces is from uh, like Dark Angel. Yeah. Um yeah, the the comedy I think to me is the weakest link of this film if there was one, but John, you probably disagree with me, so uh, on some degree, like um, you know, there's some I guess you had to know a little bit about Brandon cuz like when they had the banter back and forth about when did you start training? It's like when I was 4. <laughs> Should have started earlier. Well, in real life, Brandon <laughs> Lee started when he's like one and a half years old. <laughs> and he's like, I was four. Yeah. I, uh, what about you, Troy? Eh, it's yeah. Well, I'll say this. I, I, I hope I articulated correctly. The comedy doesn't work, but the fact that the comedy doesn't work makes it work. So I know that sounds really confusing. It's kind of like a bunch of dad jokes. It is. They're, they're very much a, you know the comedy's there. It's like a soft, slow pitch softball coming at you, and you're like, "Here's the comedic beat," and you chuckle every once in a while. But sometimes you find yourself chuckling because you know the comedy beat's coming. It's usually coming from Brandon Lee. It does feel very much like a, a '90s dad joke, and I think that adds to some of its charm. I mean, there, there's just some goofy stuff in this film. He says we're gonna kill the bad guys, and then we're gonna go eat raw fish off of naked chicks. Yeah. <laughs> I will say as it's awesome. Yeah, but it's I I, it's awesome because of it being so goofy. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, it's not afraid to poke fun of itself a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, because this film does not take itself seriously, and that's kind of why it's super awesome. Right. Well, yeah. But then it's also like take this super seriously, watch us kill this girl by cutting her head off. Yeah. Yeah. It's a man. I mean, yeah, I know. Watch us cut this mannequin's head off. But but even yeah, then, there's so many so many mannequins were killed while <laughs> this movie was being made. Well, R.I.P. mannequins. The Yakuza right, breaking his own neck. I mean, you can sit here and tell me all day, John. Your sensei said, "Oh, it's real. Got to commit to it." I go, "It's still goofy as hell," because you just don't see it, and it and it looks so far fetched. But 
preceding that, you just saw Dolph Lundgren jump over a car, right? Now, I believe it because his physique trainer probably had him doing squats to the point he could jump over buildings. When you say he jumped over a car, he literally leaped over a car while it was running. At yeah. It. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've done that. You haven't done that, Troy? <laughs> no, sure. Haven't. I, I do squats, but I, I don't think now, my granted, squats are going to take so me. So when I did it, when I did it, granted, it was a power wheels, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I still I could, did it. I guess yeah, one of your kids wheels. was coming after you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and there's, there is a level of inept filmmaking here. Okay. So we, we talk about the, oh boy, the, the sex scenes, right? So Tia Carrera is getting into a hot tub. Clearly not <laughs> Tia Carrera. Okay. Clearly. I mean, I think we would, like I said before, we could wear wigs and probably pass just as well. Then you get the steamy sex scene in, in the house, which is clearly not <laughs> Tia Carrera getting on top of Dolph Lundgren. And side note, it's the shortest sex scene in action cinema history. I mean, is, it's is like Dolph Lundgren a minute man. I, I don't know. But I think what's funny is it follows with the, the just the most unromantic, hilarious line of dialogue ever when she's like, well, that time I heard you coming. <laughs> and you're like, what? What does that mean? <laughs> what the hell does Did it that mean? Did it make a mean? sound? Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, then you get this sequence where he's like, uh, they they escape this. They do the whole villain thing where the villains are like, yep, we're going to put him into this thing that's going to crush him and chew him up and we're going to go away. Just assume, right? It's, yeah. not, it's almost, it's Austin Powers-like. Yeah, it's, it's Dr. Evil. Yeah. It is. So they escape and they're like, hey, we're going to take advantage of being dead. So what do they do? training montage which is goofy montage. but it's it's awesome i loved it mm -hmm. uh yeah. i so needed it i i will make this statement okay so this movie honestly is maybe two scenes and about five more minutes of nudity away from being an andy sadaris film and i i actually think that's a compliment this might actually make a great double feature with hard ticket to hawaii Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Like if I were doing a film festival and it was like, Hey, we're doing a double feature action matinee at the drive-in. I would say we're going to watch showdown in little Tokyo. And then we're going to watch hard ticket to Hawaii because the showdown in little Tokyo to me is almost like an introduction to Andy Sidaris films. And it is that little bit of directing ineptitude and filmmaking that's kind of going on and the goofiness that really makes this a memorable film, in my opinion, it makes it stick out over. Yeah, it's, it does smell a little bit of like Malibu express. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's again, that's a compliment. And I, I think that's why people gravitate to showdown in little Tokyo, maybe over uh, other films of this time period, it's, you know, especially some of the stuff that Jean-Claude was putting out about that time period, because there's this quality or charm to it. And it just feels different. And, and where that feeling comes from is, is just some of these odd filmmaking choices. Yep. Yeah. Just but, an observation. I mean, you know, I think in watching this and getting ready to talk about this, it, it's, you know, going back to Brandon, could this movie have been done with anyone else besides Brandon? Possibly. I, Would it have the same nostalgia for me as now? Probably oh, not. Boy. Who yeah, would, I, mean, who I don't would know. Their chemistry there. is yeah. so good. It, it really is. And that's what kills me the most because, man, 
like we saw the, you know, with the expendables, they're bringing all the old action heroes back together, man. What if Brandon was still here? Oh, to see him up, walks through the door, just, mm. and then him and in the heyday with Jet Li. Oh, could you imagine the magic? Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked dark angel and at that point, Brian, uh, Ben, Ben was paired up with Dolph Lundgren. And if you, if you compare dark angel or I come in peace to this one, I think dark angel might be a better made film, but the chemistry in this one, like I almost wish we had Brandon Lee and I come in peace. Ooh, Oh God. So I, I really, I think there was a missed opportunity in the early nineties of just having these two get with better directors, maybe even an Andrew Davis or something and, uh, make a bunch more action films, you know, lethal weapon clones, whatever you want to call it about that time period. That that's the only thing I think the second unit direction is just on fire from Mm -hmm. this perspective. But when you actually look at, uh, I, I mean, this is, this is very similar to commando in terms of pace, but I think this would have been an action classic if we had a better director, if, if we had, you know, somebody, you know, like stone cold, um, Craig Baxley coming. Yeah. I was trying to think if this is a Craig or Baxley film, I think it's better. Yeah, I think so too. Well, is there, so I know we know that Warner brothers cut it all up. Does, does anybody know? I, I, personally seriously do not know is the uncut original like director's cut out there somewhere oh i i doubt I it yeah. um because I, I really would love a, to see. a lot of times when they cut that stuff they get rid of it and they don't preserve that stuff so it's probably gone forever but could you imagine like advertising this film is like 10 extra minutes of brandon lee you know or something like that when you but yeah, and usually I, I, I yeah. think they would have at the time of yeah, his... they would have for sure so if they had it they would have advertised it that way yeah, this um, this would be a fantastic movie for something like Vinegar Syndrome to go back and do a 4K absolutely. release of. Oh, that'd be perfect. absolutely, and just absolutely. do a bunch of special features too. I, I would love to hear everybody um, who is still around to actually comment on this film. You know, it, especially some of the people that were working on the action sequences. I think it would have been fantastic. Not that I don't, you know, want to hear from our director Mark Lester. But I probably would have wanted to hear more, you know, from Terry Leonard or somebody like that talking about this film. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, it's an awesome movie, Troy. It, it truly is. And, um, the, well, the the, can you, rec- oh. can, can you recommend this to everybody or would you only recommend it to a few people? I, I mean, I, there, there's a few people I'd recommend it to because it, it you come in and expecting, like, I don't the people that swim in our lanes, definitely I would recommend it to them. But like any, any, like I'm not going to work and be like, Hey, have you ever seen showdown in little Tokyo? Cause you should like, they're going to think of you like a weird guy. Cause it's gratuitous nudity and violence and all that stuff. So no, yeah, they should, you should be able to, cause it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a fun movie, you know? And I've, Back then, like you said, we had the Van Damme, we had Commando, we had all that stuff. But this was a little different. And me personally, back then, I I was kind of a fan of Dolph, you know, because he he put a whooping on Rocky. You know, I must break you. Uh, just to <laughs> see that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, it, and it was just fun because, again, uh, and you know how it is back, you know, back in the, in the 80s and, and 90s when they had the American martial arts quote. 
movies come out. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go see it, but what the hell am I getting into? This was fun. Yeah. This was fun when I saw it in the theater and when I watch it today, it's fun. I So another question is, could you imagine anybody replacing Dolph Lundgren in that role, like a Jean-Claude Van Damme or a Sylvester Stallone? No. No? No. Because I think what made it even funnier is here's Dolph, this, this lumbering lumberjack of a stud. And then there's Brandon, it's detective Johnny. It's like, yeah, a little awkward. That's why he couldn't put up a fight for the girl. He couldn't. No. Yeah. Okay. I, I, but I think their chemistry is what makes this work. So if you replace yeah. of them, I think that chemistry is hindered by, you know, it's hard to say would they have better chemistry with somebody. Obviously, them two together, they had something t- together, and replacing one of one or the other really would hinder that. And I, I would, it's hard to say, because like Jean Claude is just not somebody that you team him up with people. Like it's it just doesn't really work. He's a solo guy, I think. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned it, double impact. He was teamed up with himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it didn't really work. Well, but, hold on there. It's got its moments. Well, you've been drinking. <laughs> no, it's Jean-Claude. I, I, I agree with you. The chemistry of these two, it's so natural. It works. I don't think you, the bromance I mean, like, would be as strong. Is double, t- is double Team a good movie, Troy? Oh, my God. With Dennis Rodman? <laughs> with Dennis Rodman? <laughs> yes, it is. It's a Troy yeah. Hark film. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. You got, I, you got lions in a coliseum with Mickey Rourke, like, Going up against Jean Claude, that that movie's fantastic. You got this assassin in a hotel room uh, with a no, knife. Troy, in his foot. Troy, yeah, I love you dearly. But calling double, double teams team awesome, fantastic is a bit of a stretch. I, I like it, but it is so double team fits with Showdown in Little Tokyo, in my opinion, in terms of being these action films that would have come out in this '90s that were just uh, they concentrated on the action. And the people that were delivering that part of it were doing a really good job. And there is this element of goofiness that pervades throughout the entire film that I think makes it memorable. I would defend double team all day long. We okay. may talk about yeah, double team. I, I mean, but in maybe terms we'll of, do it someday. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, so double team, I didn't hate and didn't really love it. But in terms of what would I rather rewatch? Eh, showdown. Right, I don't have a beef with double team. I have a beef with calling <laughs> it. Sounds it, like you, it sounds like you do, Brad. <laughs> sounds like you really don't like that film. Uh, All right, Troy. Let's I, do the question. Well, I, I got one more question. Ooh. We we've we've talked about four movies that Ooh. really concentrated on the bromance. What of the four had the best bromance? So our options are Tango and Cash. Miami Vice, Fight Club, and Showdown in Little Tokyo. If you had to pick the best bromance out of those four, who wins? I got to go with Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. Oh, okay. And it's mostly because of uh, Kurt Russell, but it's also because they spend about four minutes in a shower together touching penises. So if that doesn't tell you bromance, then nothing will. Okay. What about you, John? I'm gonna call a tie between Tango and Cash. There's no, you can't have two number ones. That's that's an eleven. You got to pick one. I am Korean. I'm allowed to have. (sighs) Okay, you played that card again. Fine. Yes. Which ones? Which which are the two? You know it. You know it. 
Tango and Cash. I agree. Tango and Cash actually edges out because of the banter. Um, Kurt Russell just, he is just hilarious in that movie. Um, There's only one Kurt Russell. Yes. Sorry. There really is. And, uh, you know, it's hard to find since since Tango and Cash. uh, Just trying to really quick remember. I can't remember another bromance since then that really stuck with me as awesome as, as that. Hmm. I can. It's called Showdown in Little Tokyo. That's the correct wrong. answer. I said yeah. since I said since Tango and Cash, not before. Uh, it's tough. I I would agree. If you said it was a toss up between Tango and Cash and Showdown, I would agree. The only the only thing why I think Showdown in Little Tokyo edges out Tango and Cash is Tango and Cash relies on Kurt Russell. Showdown in Little Tokyo relies on Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee. And because those two are so just good together, uh, I, I got to I got to give it to that pair over Tango and Cash. Even though I love Tango and Cash, um, I'll give it to Showdown. Okay. Okay. Hey, that's fair. Okay. Well, uh, John, I'll just ask you a quick question. We we had a fun discussion about Showdown in Little Tokyo from 1991. Is it a bomb? Negative. It's a fun movie. Enjoyed it back then. Still enjoy it now. It is funny. And um, Troy, um, just to let you know, you do not have the biggest dick. I know that. I'm a man that I've ever seen. So. I know. I uh, I love you guys, though. It's, I, it's, I'm it's, told it's, that all the time by Brad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you put a wig on it? It'd be good. Okay. But anyway, um, no, not a bomb. It's a fun movie. Uh, go watch it. That's all I can say. Okay. How about you, Brad? Where are you landing on this? Oh, totally not a bomb. Agreed. I agree. It's not a bomb. 100%. Actually, now that we've talked about it, I, I want to do a Saturday afternoon and start with Showdown in Little Tokyo, then do uh, Double Team, and then do Hard Ticket to Hawaii. That would be Ooh, okay. a trifecta. So next time we get together, wow. that's what we're doing. Okay. Okay. Hey, I'm gonna, I'll buy a plane ticket right now. <laughs> Sounds, oh my God, that sounds amazing. See, we should be programming film festivals because we would do it the best, I think. Oh, could you imagine? I, I know. Hey, Brad, I we have some feedback. You want to you wanna share it, read it? Sure, go ahead. I don't have my, I don't keep my phone around me when we're recording, Troy, so I, okay. I can't. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> you, did you print them out? You I always did. print them out. I do. All right. Okay. This is from AJ. Are you ready for this? Okay, here we go. Troy and Brad. I'm a new listener to your amazing podcast and truly now can't seem to make it through a day of work without listening to not a bomb podcast. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Looking in your catalog, at least what's on iTunes. I see that you almost completed a trilogy of films that made really made me instilled in me along with later entries like alien blade runner and the thing, my love of science fiction. Titan AE and Treasure Planet, while perhaps Titan AE is best left in the memory since I've been too afraid to revisit, I still hold Treasure Planet pretty high esteem. Okay, enough rambling. Would the podcast be willing to do an episode on the forgotten gem Atlantis, The Lost Empire? That's the Disney animated film, right, Brad? Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's like Michael J. Fox. Yeah, Michael J. Fox is the voice. Yes, correct. So AJ goes on and says, I saw this film as well as the other two in theaters and Atlantis remains my favorite. I was about 10, a true rogue in its departure from the Disney machine featuring action, not songs as the filmmakers put it. 
and wonderful art and creations drawn from the mind of Mike Magnolia. This film, in my opinion, is not a palm. Thanks for the podcast and the consideration, AJ from Milwaukee. Ooh. Is that on the list? I thought Atlantis was it, on the I list. I think it is on the list somewhere. We might have to move it up then. I think so too. I'm I'm that's due for a rewatch. If you butter us up by saying it's your favorite podcast and you listen to it every day, we'll we'll move your pick up the list. Yeah, I'll tell you this. <laughs> How about this? If you leave a review on iTunes telling it it's your new favorite podcast, it'll definitely show up this summer. <laughs> we'll we'll throw some stuff at the back end of the year and do that one. Yeah, that was a good one. But thank you, AJ. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, very. Yes. This is from Michael. Uh, I remember watching Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx doing press interviews for Miami Vice in England and watching them slowly die inside as they were constantly asked if they were going to wear pastel suits and not wear socks like Sonny Crockett. I knew from seeing the trailer that the film was not going to be like the TV series, but it seemed like the marketing department had their work cut out on trying to point out that the film was its own thing. I like the film. It's more of a suspense film than an action flick. And I feel that Michael Mann is at his best when he's creating that suspense. The insider being a prime example. I think it's one of Mann's weaker efforts, but even then it's a pretty good film. Keep up the great work, Michael. Uh, I agree with all of that. I, I, I really just went down this Michael Mann path because we kept talking about the theatrical cut. So I went and bought the Blu-ray with paired with the kingdom but then, Brad, you and I found out, uh, is it Arrow is going to do a 4K release of Black Hat now? Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I may have to revisit that one. I know we both called it uh, Bomb, but <clears throat> yeah, if Arrow is going to put a 4K out, maybe maybe we got to go back and watch that thing. It's again. Michael Mann, so I'm going to buy it. Okay. Uh, this one from Jacob. I wanted to thank you for not only mentioning my books on the show, but buying them and recommending them. I didn't expect that, and I really appreciate it. I don't do much promotion. Jacob, you should. That book is amazing. It is. It's a really awesome read. It's, I liked it. It's a lot of fun. I, I, he's got the science fiction and the horror one that I'm going to pick up. And then I want to go back and pick up the other volumes, of the action ones. Um, I just figured you might take my breaking bad recommendations more seriously. If you knew about the books, thanks again. <laughs> so Jacob has an, another recommendation. I love you, Jacob. This is awesome. PS, you really need to do fateful findings by Neil Breen. Brad, do you know who Neil Breen is? No. He's like this actor, producer, director. Okay, watch some of the trailer. This this one may make it on there, this Fateful Findings, because I've read a lot about this film now and everybody commenting about how terrible it is. So it's one of those when you go back and watch it and you go, wait a minute, this is getting like four or five-star reviews. The reason why it's getting four or five-star reviews is apparently it's like a a just an ego project that is hilarious to watch because it's so terrible. Uh, and if Jacob's recommending it, you know, he writes good books. We are just going to have to visit this one. I think this may end up in the uh, social experiment we got going on. Oh, the breaking Brad. Okay. The breaking Brad. Yep. Uh, and and real quick, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody reaching out to us on social media lately and, uh, leaving comments on our posts and interacting. This has been a super busy week for both our, our Twitter, uh, Instagram and Facebook. It it's, we we did the fight club uh episode and it's ridiculous what kind of response we got from that yep brad and i love interacting with all of you uh, the community of film fans that has been growing as a result of this podcast is amazing you are all amazing i can't thank you enough for just reaching out and having fun with us i gotta tell you it's it really makes the work week fly 
knowing that I'm just going to be interacting with somebody who's a film fan as well. So thank you all for the emails and especially for just, you know, anytime we post something, jumping in there and, and sharing your thoughts on it too. It's been awesome. Exactly. Yep. Brad, uh, if somebody wants to send us more feedback or reach out to us, how do they do that? Yeah, that is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can also go over to our website, not a hit the contact us button, um, leave us a recommendation comment or suggestion there. You can also go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, like Troy said, we are uh, happy to see you on there and commenting and all that stuff. So again, thank you very much. Yes. And thank you all for responding to the latest episode of Breaking Brad. We did uh, session two. That was a lot of fun. We have the apple. The apple. And and Brad is starting to show some signs. <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, my foundation is already showing some cracks. Yeah. And, and uh, next well, next month. You excited about that next pick? LaQuisha is quite the movie. Uh, hmm. Yeah, that's going to be fun. So we don't have a theme coming up in March. I think we're just doing movies, right? Yeah. Yep. Just back to movies. So movie March. <laughs> what, what are we doing next week? Yeah. So we tried to do this film uh, God, a while ago and I went to go open up my DVD case and the movie was gone and I couldn't watch it. And literally you can't stream it anywhere. So I told Troy that I, we were going to be unable to see it. He had already watched it. It was already scarred by a scene. Oh my God. Is this that so, fucking monkey so movie? The monkey death is uh, back. We are doing the fall from 2006. Uh, Tarsim Singh, I believe is the director's name. This movie broke me. Yeah. I want to say thank you to Philip. He, uh, he sent me a copy of the fall. So I have it. Um, I've basically like put it in a lockbox so I don't lose it. Uh, but yeah, we're finally doing the fall. I don't know if I can watch that scene again, man. I, that traumatized me. You got to do it for Hey, man, if I have to watch Lakeisha, Lakeisha, <laughs> you got to watch. All right. Get it. Okay. I, man. Oh God. That's that. That's going to break Troy. That scene. <laughs> uh, oh boy. All right. Well, John. Well, Faithful Findings is a science fiction film. Oh my God. Okay. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. Just read, read some stuff about <laughs> Faithful Findings. You'll be like, Oh my God, it looks, this is what I love about doing this little experiment. The, um, the requests we have coming in, we have enough to keep this little social experiment going on for like three years with just doing a movie a month. Nathan had sent one in about, um, was it a can, uh, some cannibal musical? Can, or, yeah. Cannibal, the musical or something like that, which looks amazing. Cause, uh, one of the South park guys had done it. Some we may do that one. I don't know if, but I got a feeling next month you're just going to call it quits and we won't even get to this summer. Yeah. Uh, no, I committed to a year. So Jesus, you're going to commit to two years. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Hey, man, if people keep listening, I'll keep I'll keep going. You, I'm just going to like gain like 50 pounds. And just <laughs> you're going to be on like five different medications. Yeah. Uh, John, thank you for closing out bromance month with us, man. It was so good to My see pleasure. your face and hear your voice. I know. I can't wait to see you again, John. So I can get a nice big John hug. No, I miss you, Brad, but no, thank you guys. It's always a pleasure. It's always an honor, uh, to be invited to talk about some of these awesome movies. I just, I always, uh, I, I love it. It's so much fun and, uh, you know, hope, hope you get to do it again soon. Awesome. We're definitely going to have you back. Brad, whether podcast should everybody check out that's within our little family. Yeah. So that's a uh, gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. 
the uh, Watch Skip Plus guys, the VHS Files, the Backlook Cinema podcast, the Mixtape podcast. Oh, real quick on Backlook Cinema, they just did Iron Eagle. So yeah. we talked about, oh God, that was a great episode. <laughs> I sent him an email about it too, because I was so excited he did Iron Eagle, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, Night of the Living podcast, and I think that's it. Yeah, so uh, go check tape? those guys. Huh? Did you say mixtape? Yeah, mixtape, but we'll say it again. Mixtape okay. podcast. Um, yeah, if you uh, check those guys out, let them know that we sent you over there so they know that we're doing our job and promoting their stuff. We're bad about promoting our own selves, but we'll promote other people just fine. So We're terrible at promoting ourselves. It's fine. You know <laughs> what? Fine. It's fine. Uh, thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening this week. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Come back next week. We're going to talk about uh, monkey trauma in the fall. Go out and watch Showdown in Little Tokyo. Go watch. In Rapid Fire. In Rapid. (laughs) Yeah, go. And The Crow. The Crow. Do a whole Brandon Lee marathon. We did it this week. It was amazing. Uh, go, Go see Legacy of Rage. That's one I don't think people talk enough about. But definitely, if you have to pick one, Rapid Fire out of all of them. Uh, in my opinion, because I, I think everybody's seen the crow. But yeah, we'll we'll catch you next week and uh, have an awesome have an awesome week. Till then, don't lose your head. <laughs> <laughs>